Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 88, and I'm rejoined by my co-host Matt Santangelo. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Um, doing as well as I possibly can be doing. Of course, Milan are out of the top four after being uh, winter champions and actually in first place up until February. So um, I'm putting on a, a happy face, but <laughs> underneath this happy face, I am miserable. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd love to be able to be a bit more happy than you, but things aren't looking that good for Arsenal at the moment. Obviously, a big game on Thursday against their former manager, Unai Emery and Villarreal, but I'm sure we'll cover that in next week's episode, and I'll be either very happy or very sad. And if you want more instant reaction to Arsenal stuff, you can follow uh, Fresh Arsenal podcast. That's the Twitter handle where I've been covering some Arsenal stuff, if you guys are interested. Um I mean, loads has happened. Every week, it seems to be like something crazy happens. I mean, the amount of storians there are in 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 the top five European leagues at the moment is is pretty insane, right? And I mean, we'll we'll start off by the the European Super League wrapping up. Last week, we had the the three of us, including Martino and uh, Mo. Um, who's been a regular guest and, and Harry as well. Um, so so definitely go check those guys out, Mo Ali and, and Harry Brooks. Um, just talking about the, the craziness that was the European Super League and within a week, Matt, it's basically folded flat on its face because the, the six, I guess, uh, or, or six of the richer clubs have basically pulled out. Yeah, um, that was pretty interesting how that kind of uh, unfolded in a matter of days, right? Sunday. The announcement Monday, Tuesday, the outrage, and by the end of Tuesday, I believe it was pretty much all done. The statements came out on Wednesday of all these clubs backtracking and JP Morgan saying they didn't really do their due diligence and all that stuff, and they, you know, all that, all that, that fancy backpedaling and PR stuff to kind of uh, stop the bleeding, if you will. Um, it's weird though, right? It's it's been a matter of a week the whole tune has changed completely in a matter of week regarding this, but I found it interesting too, Pat, and I'm sure you could speak on this and speak to the vagueness and some of the statements, right. Um, after the whole thing kind of blew up was that there were several clubs that kind of led you to believe they were backing out of this. And then there were some clubs that were saying, we understand the fans concerns and we want to make sure everything's okay with them and we value their input and all that stuff, but they never really said they're like leaving the super league, which makes it interesting too, because Fiorentino Perez, the Real Madrid owner, president, whatever you want to call him as a dictator, villain, uh, many names that he could probably uh, bear um, said that the contract's binding. So it's, I'm, I'm curious to see what the, um, future looks like for something like this uh maybe not maybe not this year maybe not next year but 2023 2024 who knows it comes around the corner so i guess we'll have to wait and see what the fallout is of this but as of right now at the very least the football fans can get back to focusing on what's happening on the pitch the champions league semifinals is around the corner here of course in a couple hours Mm. same thing with the europa league semifinals as well we got euro we got world cup qualifiers so there's a lot of good football um to to soak in and absorb and that's kind of how i'm I'm taking this right now what about you yeah i mean (sighs) the whole like contract binding thing you know lawyers can get out of anything these days can't they so um i think even in the arsenal supporters trust fan forum type thing or the agm whatever it called uh where josh crunke and um vinay the ceo of arsenal were both uh present 
they said that they'd cover all the fees that were, you know, um, that, that basically were incurred by leaving the Super League. So, yeah, I mean, a, a really, really messy chapter in football, right? Um, it showed the disconnect between big clubs and their fans and i'm glad it's kind of gone away i mean what it has done is it's kind of i guess tried to spark this footballing revolution at least in 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 the uk at least um the prime minister is apparently going to review some legislation about kind of uh having fans um owning the clubs the similar model to to germany but then there's the the issue matt like stan Kroenke. He's not just going to give up fifty-one percent of his uh, of his ownership, right? This is private company uh, that is owned by him. So I'm really interested to see how this goes. There's a lot of pressure on a lot of these owners to to do right by the fans and do well for them. I mean, you know, Arsenal, for example, Daniel Elk, the the Spotify CEO, is is rumored to be joining a, a takeover bid alongside like Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, and Vieira. So lots of interesting hap- things happening. And even though the Super League seems to be off, I think there is still uh there is still kind of there's going to be fallout of this whether it's you know a takeover bit of, of a couple of clubs whether it's Fiorentino Perez being sacked other executives being sacked whether it's UEFA um having to alter their comp- their new competition um because there's been a lot of criticize- criticism of them as well rightfully so so uh yeah I mean um it's good to be able to bookmark that chapter but a, a lot more fallout to come and a lot of it we will cover on this show. Um Matt let's move over to Serie A because as you mentioned in your preamble Milan are you know on the verge of of blowing out this t- top four race which is getting really exciting and more Milan news today especially there's been a lot of people linking um Donnarumma to Juventus after Mike Magnan Mike Mike Magnan I don't know why I'm so bad at pronouncing his name was uh, rumored to be completing a 15 million euro move to um, to Milan in the summer, which I think is a fantastic deal, right? I was saying to you guys on WhatsApp, I don't know how much you've watched him, but he's probably been the best keeper in Liga uh, this season. I think Kellen Avers has been kind of in of out and he's done most of his heroics in the Champions League. He's probably going to be the next French number one after Hugo Lloris kind of packs it in and he's kind of been on a decline anyway. So Milan would be, instead of paying Donnarumma 12 million euros a year, buying a guy for 15 million and probably paying him about five. So it makes a load of business sense, but you never like to see one of your your kind of crown jewels leave. So Matt, how are you feeling about Milan in general, the top four race, Juve and Milan are, you know, stuttering in that race and then also talk to us about Donnarumma. Yeah, um, I'll speak on the... Uh, Donnarumma situation here for a moment because um, you know there's there's a lot to unpack with this I know there's a lot of fans that uh, or just spectators in general who are just kind of getting into uh, the ins and outs of the Donnarumma at Milan situation which really predates to 2017 right I think it kind of goes back to then when um, Milan tried to negotiate a new deal when of course they had the previous ownership the Chinese owners came in they had Marco Fassone and Massimiliano Mirabelli, and they failed initially to get a deal done with him. Um, they actually put out an official statement saying that he's chosen not to resign with the club and he's going to be gone in 2018 at the time. Mm. Of course, weeks passed by, the dollar rumor, dollars rained down on him. I think when he was on U21 duty with Italy, uh, I think it was Milan Club Poland, were showering him with fake dollar bills. <laughs> the whole Soriso Sempre thing. You had the uh, what was it? The Mino, uh, the dollar, the dollar Iola or something. He phrased it as <laughs> saying it's yesterday, today, tomorrow, pretty much 
taking a jab at the media for some of the comments being made about his situation. And he signs a new deal. And now obviously that deal is expiring in June. And look, it was somewhat inevitable. If you, if you thought that this was going to be a walk in the park with, uh, with me and Raiola, then you're just simply not paying attention to how he operates, how things go down for some of his clients. And when Milan aren't making Champions League, like they haven't in, since 2013, 2014, and they're on the brink of potentially bottling it this year, which they would be the first winter champions, Martino, to ever not finish top four, which <laughs> says a lot. And it's really puts things into perspective of just how dire the situation is right now with Milan um, from all the performances we've seen in 2021, of course. It's not surprising to me that this is a, there's, a, there's a potential reality where he's not Milan's number one and maybe he's Juve's number one. I mean, Juve have been uh, big proponents of the free transfer operation, of course, paying heavy wages, but not paying those transfer fees, paying the agents, obviously big commissions, which, of course, that's what Raiola typically tends to receive on a lot of his deals. So things you can kind of start to see materializing and lining up where Donnarumma to Juve is a real possibility. And it's not something obviously you've uh, Milan fans want to see, excuse mm. me. But at the end of the day, I think fans specifically need to understand that this is a business, the mm. loyalty, the loyal player of the past, the Maldinis, the Totis, the Baresis, all these guys. And, you know, you can name the players in the premier league, you know, Steven Gerrard and this goes on and on and on mm. that Lance, the landscape has shifted so much now where it's, Players, they're not really players. They're more of like assets. And when you look at Donnarumma's situation, as you mentioned, homegrown player. He's been with this club for, for many years. He came in at 16, took the world by storm. A, a bad Milan team at the at the time. Yeah. He helped make them a little bit better. And he like became he, one of the He's been number one for five years. I mean, which he's is crazy. 16, to think he's about, still right? 22. Yeah, like six he's not years. even a goalkeeper's hit their prime, like 28, 27. So yeah. he's got five more years until you can say he's in his prime. Yeah. So when I look and, at it, and it doesn't really feel like he's going to be in the same, you know, like a Cragno or a, or a Mer- Alex Merritt who like, you know, they, they come out the blocks really hot and then they suddenly kind of decline. Like you can kind of see him progressing, you know, being a captain, being the best goalkeeper in the world. It's kind of inevitable, right? But, but, that, but, but the thing is, and I agree with you, Pep, but the thing is that in, Milan haven't made it easy on themselves. They haven't made the leverage that they could potentially obtain in negotiations easily, easy, easy to obtain by not making Champions League, by changing owners yeah. every couple of years, by getting coaches in and out, by sometimes rebuilding and tearing down the projects and X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth. I could go on and on about this team. They don't make it easy on themselves when you go sit down at the negotiation table to you know, lodge a bid and a good offer for him, which according to Sky, uh, me and Martino spoke about this on the Milan Report's post-match reaction after the defeat yesterday to Lazio, $7 million plus one in bonuses um, for two years uh, with a clause in there for 30 to $35 million that can be exercised if they don't make Champions League. It's Champions League. These players like Donnarumma, like these top talents, they want to play the Champions League. They want to play on the main stage. They want to get paid handsomely. And when Milan aren't making Champions League, it's simply that much more difficult to make happen. But at the end of the day, as I always say to a lot of people, you have to learn to detach yourself from the player and focus more on the club. Because Milan are looking at this from a standpoint that, well, what's the best deal for us? Yes, we want to pay this guy. But at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand. 
First, it's 10 million. Okay, we'll do 10 million. Now we want 12 now. When does it end with Raiola? When does it end with his clients? And yeah. that's how I look at it. And you mentioned it. Magnum would be a, 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 a sound acquisition. It'll cost you a transfer fee, but not a steep transfer fee. The wages will be a fraction of what you'll be paying Donnarumma under a new deal. And you're getting an established keeper who, to your point, has been one of the best in France. I think he's he's been the actually, best in France, and yeah, he's going to be France's he's, number so one at some point, right? He's going to be France's number one is, at some point. So it's a really point. it's not it's not a crazy downgrade, right? No, 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 not at all. I mean, he's a little bit older, but it's not you're not like you're getting like a thirty one or thirty two year old keeper. You're getting someone who could be here for like six, seven years, yeah, if it's you know done right. But the last thing I want to say about Donnarumma is what hurts the more is the fact that he's a homegrown player. He's become a star. And these are the players that Milan fans have envisioned the club being built around. You know, you had Cutrone, you had Locatelli, you've had guys where they're, they're, they're academy players and you're thinking, this is where our core is. Yeah. When, you, when they either don't pan out or you lose them for free to maybe a rival, it stings a little bit more. But I'm thinking about this more long-term, right? Because if this was a outfield player, if this was a central defender, if this was a really good midfielder, if this was a striker, a winger, number 10, I would feel a little bit more hurt, but I actually think that Milan could sign a goalkeeper that can do maybe not exactly what Donnarumma can, but can do a lot of what he can and can be maybe not that type of caliber of goalkeeper, but a very good goalkeeper where you're not going to completely skip a beat and, and, and downgrade that much. That's how I observe it. And and also look, goalkeepers are important, right? But they are, you know, Mignolet was the goalkeeper at Liverpool when they almost won the league, when they should have won the league, right? When it was the Suarez, uh, Sturridge, um, Sterling, Coutinho team, right? Liverpool if we remember that. Got to a final, Champions League final with Carius. Yeah, exactly, right? So right. goalkeepers are really important, but they are the icing on the cake. And look, like uh, this is coming from a guy that watched Bird Leno literally just put the ball into his own net uh, against Everton on Friday. So yes, they, they are important, but I feel like having a really solid center half and a central midfielder and an important goal scoring striker are priorities. And if you're looking at paying someone 12 million a year in Italian terms, like that is a great, that's like, you know, that's a lot of money if you're talking post-tax salary, right? Like that's, you know, it's, we're very, I think they said, on a, like on a five or six year deal, which is what I think they were trying to get from, to, for Donnarumma, it was about an 80 million euro gross investment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, lot of money. That's a, that's a lot, lot of money. money. That is a lot of money. And I'm sorry. Like I said, there's a line has to be drawn somewhere. Milan have a lot of pressing needs. They need that. They obviously want to probably get this deal done with Tomori. They need a striker. They need wingers. They need potentially a number 10 if Hakon doesn't renew. So they have a lot of things that they need to address. This is not a well-oiled, ready-to-go contender mm. for the title, for a Champions League title. They have work to do. They've done well, but they have work to do. And yeah. for you to tie up $7 million or $6 million to Ibrahimovic for next year for one year, and then Donnarumma, another twelve. that's a lot of money. Mm. And that's my last point on Donnarumma. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, make it, I'll make it brief on Milan, too, because I think there's um, – I can't say I'm surprised that Milan are struggling this bad. Um, now am I surprised that they've fallen this deep to the point where they're not even in top four? I am a little bit because I thought that Milan did so well in the first half of the season playing with a chip on their shoulder because they had such a great post-COVID reaction. And really 2020 was very good for them. They were one of the better teams in Europe's top five as far as points go. 
Um, and they played with a chip on their shoulder because a lot of people thought that sort of run they had was an anomaly. It was a fluke. They came into the first half of the season playing really good, inspired football. They had a lot of character. What they lacked in individual quality and star power, they had this collective effort. They had this chemistry. They had this unity. And the sum of their parts was able to outweigh and overmatch some of the maybe deficient areas they had in the squad. But as I tweeted, it's not the loss to Lazio. It's not the losses that maybe could come to a team like Atalanta or Juve in the coming weeks. It's the defeats to teams like Spezia, like Sassuolo, um, the draws to Udinese and Samp. That's where you and I know objectives are either obtained or lost. Because it's a matter of points at the end of the season. Milan missed top four a couple years ago by one point on the final match day. They had a couple results in the second half of the season against Udinese and Parma that they just simply could, could not have afforded to get a, a loss or drawn, and they did. So at the end of the day, I think Milan punched above their weight the first half of the season. They had a lot of injuries. I'm not going to say that Pioli hasn't been put in such a difficult position there, but he hasn't proven over the course of his career, Pet, that he's a manager that can finish the job in the second half of the season. Mm. He's done pretty well. He did pretty well in the first half of the, of the season or the first half of the job at Inter fell off. Same thing with Lazio. Same thing with some of these other clubs. And we're starting to see that now. And look, whether he gets top four or not, I think there's got to be some sort of real, you know, sitting down at the table to see whether or not he's the guy. Because in the Champions League setting and format, do you really think Pioli's the guy to get you into a not round of 16 or a quarterfinal? Probably yeah. not. But if you if he blows this, then changes have to be made. Someone's got to be taking the fault and taking the blame for it, right? Whether it be Maldini, whether it be play, you know him leaving or him stepping aside, so on and so forth. So we'll have to wait until see how it plays out. Obviously, Milan have a handful of games left. They have three matches against teams that are bottom five slash fighting relegation, but they also have matches against Juventus and Atalanta away that they just simply need to get something from and need to get up for those perform for those matches. Otherwise, they're going to make history as the only team to become winter champions, but not make top four. Yeah, I think you've, you've rounded it off well there. Um, I mean, you mentioned purely managers are a hot topic at the moment uh, and people paying for managers. Matt, we've been saying this for, for years all right, on the podcast now that it's comes a, there's going to be a time when managers are going to get bought for money. And we've seen that. Nagelsmann is going to buy Munich for reportedly 20 million euros. So... Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Look, there's very few teams that can afford to make this move. Um, well, first off, let me talk about this real quick. And what other profession or sport does a coach go six for six in winning trophies? And you somehow deem it as like, uh, okay, well, we, we something's got to change. We need to get a new coach. Now I know how obviously Hansi Flick could potentially become the Germany coach. And that's been discussed in rumors and reports of late and he stepped down, but it's crazy, right? How good Bayern have been, but how much they, how high they aim. And yeah. what I mean by that is you have a perfectly good coach in Hansi Flick that just came off a treble who's won quite a bit in a very short time. They're changing coaches and they're already getting this one of the more brighter progressive minds in world football. And of course, Nagelsmann, whose ascent to this Bayern job is nothing short of impressive. And the thing so, about Bayern is they don't beg, right? Like if we think about they don't um, they, they look, they they know they know the product they could put on the field, they know the club culture, the ethos, 
the project they can offer a, a manager like Nagelsmann, that it doesn't take so much of a strong arming of, of, the, of the, the candidate for you to convince them. It's like, hey, we know, we know we're Bayern Munich. We know what we offer. You put it right in front of them. And when you get those coaches that look around the training ground, they look around the stadium, they look at all the trophies they've won, you kind of become attached to it and it automatically just sells itself as a product. Yeah. You ever buy something and you're like, this sells itself. I don't even have to think about this. And then yeah, I bought an Apple charger today. I was that like... You have to just convince yourself like, oh, this is pretty good. I should do it. <laughs> Bayern Munich are, are such a well-oiled machine. And they, when they, when it comes to transfers and when it comes to coaches, for the most part, they tend to always get it right. And for me, I know it's, a, I know we're looking at the, 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 the outlay and what it's going to cost to get him in. It's steep. It's only steep and people will only criticize how much is being paid if he fails to do the job in, in winning trophies and making them um, that much more dominant. And uh, mm. to me, I don't see it yeah. as we've been talking about one of the brightest minds that we've seen very young. I mean, this could be the 34 type of, years of age. This could, Pat, this can be the type of guy that you have for a decade. Yeah. You dominate Bundesliga even further. And then you just build like your next era at the club around this guy. Like, a, like think, think uh, Pep at Barcelona. Like you can mm. build a dynasty for years around him. So I'm very curious to see what he's able to do in terms of shape, uh, shifting and shaping this Bayern team to, to be a team that can go back into the Champions League next year and potentially win it. But also to see what type of project he can build when he's got like the backing on the market because some of his previous jobs you and I know they spend they do really well on the scouting side but he's got like he's got options he's got resources now that he's never had I think um the thing is right like I I think I mentioned it when you were talking but they don't beg Tiago if you want to go goodbye We'll get someone else in. Um, before that, Tony Cruz, you know, for me, top five, top 10 center midfielder of all time. But even him, they're not going to be held to ransom. It's like, you want to go? Fine. Okay. We're going to get Tiago. We're going to get Goretzka. Kimmich comes in field. They are a machine. And the way that their ethos is built is, is meant that, like, if someone doesn't want to be there, and look, what happened with Hansi Flick, I don't think there were any. There's, there's any bad blood i think he just went to them and went look i want to manage germany right it's a euros right. year i get the world cup next in <laughs> next christmas like let me go and do this i've won the treble here um i've done what i can do and maybe there's some personal reasons there as well maybe he doesn't want to coach like all year round like there are there are other reasons people take these positions remember he he came in from from the youth team and, and, and came in and, and did such an amazing job so um there is also that aspect so so fair play nogsman i mean he was rumored to a few other play t- places but um it seemed obvious as soon as that was going to happen that this was going to happen and um yeah, we might have the 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 Red Bull machine turning because we might have um, <laughs> might have the Salzburg manager now moving over to Red Bull Leipzig, which is interesting. But before we get into that, very quickly as a tangent, now, um, what did you make of people talking about kind of like, oh well, you know, it's Bayern dominating the league again? And I was kind of like, well, if you go over to Serie A, you see what's happening with potentially Donnarumma. No one makes a comment about that. If you look at um, you know when Leicester won the league in England, you had Mares and Canteco both. Uh, over the next two years. And then when Leicester started going, doing well again, Harry Maguire, Ben Chilwell, et cetera, all leave. So this isn't a, a specific thing in, um, in, in the Bundesliga. Right. Um, our fans just going over the top again. It's just getting a bit boring, isn't it? I agree. I mean, I think, look, there's, there's a, even for some of these Premier League sides and 
the money that's involved in this sport that a lot of these owners have, they can do a little bit more with. I'm not saying that they should stretch their budget or they can spend, you know, with the likes of Man City and PSG, Real Madrid, so on and so forth. But I mean, we've seen teams in prime example, right? In France, you have one of the biggest powers, a team that's in the semifinals right now that could potentially even be a back-to-back Champions League finalist in PSG being pushed to the very end. And they haven't been pushed like this ever before to the title by Lille, Lyon, some of these other teams. So it's possible. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's, it's not maybe a one-off year and all that sorts of things, but I just find that a little bit lazy um, yeah. and as, as far as assessing like the, the true like shift of power in certain leagues. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Borussia Dortmund. It's not like Bayern Munich are winning every year, the title by a dozen points. This league, this year is very tight. Last year was pretty tight for the most part, a lot with a lot of those top, uh, clubs in the top four. So it's competitive. Yeah, they're winning, but it's competitive. Even some of the years where Juve won the title, they beat Napoli by a couple points. We had Leipzig in the in the Lazio Champions League semifinals, year. right? We had Leipzig in the semifinals right. of the Champions League. And even and even Inter last year too. Inter last year, I think, actually finished like a few points behind Juve for the title. Yeah, like people don't maybe look at it because Juve at the end were the title, the title winners, and it was the ninth year running that they won. But Lazio was there too. So there is com- competition in these leagues, despite teams maybe winning. And that should motivate some of these other teams that are just missing out to do a little bit more to maybe be that next team. And you're seeing it with Inter right now. Inter are maybe next up to be the team that has a dynasty in place to run the show in Serie A. Mm. Mm. Uh, all good things come to an end, don't they? Um, whichever way you look at it. It, it, you just need like a few bad decisions and, and a few things to go against you, and, and that's that. Um, move on to the uh, you know over to the UK. Man City beating Spurs in the League Cup final, which you know is the only League Cup in in the top five leagues, so it's probably the the weakest title you can win. One um, 0 uh, thoroughly deserved in the end. Spurs didn't really do much, but I did find it weird, like the whole Mourinho being sacked six days before a final. Uh, this is a guy that, like, I mean, if you, if you ask any Spurs fan, a lot of them are just like, well, you know, why would you want Ryan Mason, who's never managed a game before in his life? to manage ahead of a guy that you brought in to win trophies. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to me in hindsight to say, oh, it's the wrong decision to do. And if he'd won, he'd look like a genius, right? Uh, Daniel Levy in in hiring Ryan Mason and getting rid of Mourinho. But the very fact, like the the lineups came out and I just thought, you know, I'm not sure, like Giovanni Lo Celso and Harry Winks in a midfield three. You know, Harry Winks hasn't played in 16 Premier League games or something like that. If you're Mourinho and you're going into those games, I think you're setting up in like a 4-2-3-1 and you're playing Sissoko and Hoiberg together in, in the deep two, maybe in Dombele in the 10, who didn't get a minute, by the way. In, in This is a guy who cost £63 million, didn't get a minute in the final. And then you maybe play Mora, Son, and then Kane. Kane, again, was injured, but the guy couldn't run. Like, he's he's breaking his body by doing things like that. He just he just looked didn't look fit, like... Ryan Mason was never going to drop Harry Kane if he said, look, I'm, I'm fit. You know, this is a guy who's only two years older than Harry Kane. Mourinho, on the other hand, could he have, could he have got to a situation where you get it nil-nil when you bring Kane on for the last 20 minutes, right? You bring Bale on for the last 20 minutes, or you bring Dombele on for the last 30 minutes. Like, it just felt like there was no... 
no idea of what they were doing. And I don't blame Ryan Mason for that by any chance. There's a guy who's like five years older than me and managing in the against the best manager of all time or whatever, right? So managing I can't really... Super League. Yeah, yeah, managing a Super League team, right? But I just found it really weird. And I mean, I don't know if you watched it, Matt, but it was just a, a pitiful performance from Spurs that ended up with a, an, a, an Orient mistake to give away a free kick against Sterling and then conceding at a corner, a, a free kick to, to compound your misery where you're you're losing the game by an XG of... It was like 2.9 versus 0.04. Like to, to say that the the quote, you know, you didn't even put up a fight. It's quite literal in that sense, isn't it? <laughs> Sounds like it, right? I mean, I, I, I admittedly haven't, didn't catch too much of it, but I saw some of the reactions and commentary from, from some of the accounts I follow you specifically. And I know you spoke uh, a little bit more of a joking manner, but I honestly agreed with you, what you said about like Ryan Mason. Like there was like someone who tweeted something that was supposed to be like a very serious assessment of like, Ryan Mason's job coaching and maneuvering through this final as if it's like a guy who's been coaching at the top level for 10 years and has an established coach and who's been here before and then he just got it wrong like yeah. Mason's Ryan Mason's got a couple games under his belt and it's like oh by the way here go go manage us through this cup final against Manchester City who are our Champions League semi-finalists some deemed the favorite to win the tournament who are also going to win the league and just go out there and just execute a master master class like, I'm not saying that there's certain things in the approach that couldn't have been done better that maybe most would agree that even someone who is as inexperienced as he is shouldn't be able to grasp and, and uh, implement. But, I mean, Tottenham the whole season, I mean, we spoke about it with Harry a couple times. This team's been so Jekyll and Heidi. They have had a good start. They look good at times. They look awful at times. They're just a team that's – this comes with the territory of a team that's so up and down. It's so unpredictable. Yeah. And that's really kind of how I look at it. I mean, it's a, the, the better team won. Tottenham with a little bit more guile, a little bit more um, consistency heading into this match, maybe. But it doesn't help when you get rid of the coach beforehand. And that's a talking point. It doesn't help when you have your club is one of the big six in the Super League. Like, you kind of put Ryan Mason in a position where he has to absolutely get it down right to the final point to get a victory over one of the better teams. That's how yeah. I see it. Yeah, the, the 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 tweet that I posted, which was um, <laughs> which was one of my one of my Spurs mates, who obviously was very angry after the game. He's just like, "This is yeah, I know it's crazy, man. I'm just going viral. It's weird. Uh, like <laughs> finally picking some time into the personal ground, chasing Martina um, in the follower race." But uh, it was it was like you know, if it's like sacking Arsene Wenger and getting Frimpong to manage Arsenal for a cup final I just couldn't stop laughing about it It was so good but um (laughs) let's let's talk about a couple of league title races that are are not finished um so first and foremost league R there was a huge game um Lille versus Lyon Lyon went 2-0 up I think it was a Slimani double and uh Lille came back to win 3-2 which was pretty incredible um and uh yeah I mean it was um it was a crazy, crazy thing to to see, right? But the not only a title contending match gets to like a two nil, three two win, but like we now have two points separating the top three: Lille top at seventy three points, PSG second with seventy two points, and Monaco third in seventy one points, and Lyon kind of drifting off with sixty seven points in fourth. So, Matt, I mean, this is this is going to be right down to the wire, isn't it? You alluded to. It is. Um, I mean, I don't want to focus too much on PSG and some of these other clubs. I mean, Lille have been a team that, you know, when Milan were peaking and they were doing really well in the beginning of the season, 
Um, they, of course, these two sides met in the Europa League, and Lille put three on their head and clean-sheeted them. That was, I think, one of the first losses Milan had yep. in a while at that point, too. And they looked very impressive. Um, sporting director Luis Campos is very in demand. They have a lot of players in the squad that are um, obviously going to be on the top of some big clubs shopping list this summer. I mean, even Renato Sanchez, a player that many people forgot and was um, ready to cast aside as a flop prospect when he went to Bayern, when he um, obviously was at West Brom and some of these other clubs. I mean, now he's completely reinvented himself and he's at a, a, the ripe age to the point where he's got a really bright future ahead of him once again. So it's really exciting to see teams like Lille. And I think it's coming full circle too, right? Because I think it's maybe a decade on, I mean, you can, you can, you know, speak on the timeline better than I can maybe, but a decade on since I think Lille actually won the yeah. title with Eden Hazard yeah, 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 Eden yeah. Hazard's last year at the club, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think you're correct with the, so, the, mas- the masterful Javinia. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you look at it and it's, it's no surprise. I mean, this is a team that's really well coached. They have a nice attacking style. They have good players, good young talent. And you see at the end of the season that they were just simply, you were, a lot of people were waiting for, Ah, PSG will win the league. That's what PSG do. They've been in this position so many times where it's close and then eventually they get seven, eight, nine, ten points ahead and they have it wrapped up by March. That's what a lot of people are probably expecting for this team. And no discredit to Leo, but I was probably expecting the same thing as well because you just know PSG's power and strength. I mean, they're a very, te- very strong team. But all credit to them for making this a one of, if probably, the, if not the best title race we got going here because – um, it's, as you mentioned, going to go down to the wire. I mean, between this and La Liga, we have some great title races going on the rest of the way. Mm, I mean, on, on La Liga, right? Like, it's interesting. Even Sevilla are up there now, Matt. I mean, the two Madrid clubs, Barcelona and Sevilla, even, maybe. Sevilla are kind of crashing the party a little bit. It's another really exciting title race. Hey, <laughs> I don't think I ever anticipated it going this way. I think we've had um, numerous episodes of late. Probably Martino saying it's done. <laughs> that we were like, Atletico, they're going to do it. They have a strong yeah. team. They got the big coach. Barcelona, Real Madrid are finished. The projects are capitulating. And, you know, all the talk about the Messi, you know, contract and he's going to leave. And now all of a sudden, Barcelona, I think, are two points behind Atletico. At top the of game the in table, hand, yeah. Game in hand. And Three points between the top four. Yeah, it's insanely tight at the top of the table in, in La Liga. But when, Pep, before we went live here, we were discussing um, the the uh, idea of Messi making this sort of big, strong run or surge um, for Barcelona, but also for himself, right? Because I think, you know, he was having one of his more down years, right? And mm. even his down years are better than most. But <laughs> now he's kind of put it all together again. And he's got Barcelona in a really good position to steal the title from Atletico Madrid. I present this, these two questions to you. Where would this, where would a title uh, rank if Messi, if Messi Barcelona get the title here, where would this title win rank in your opinion amongst his biggest accomplishments from a team standpoint? Number one, number two, suppose they do win the title. Do you think this gives Messi the upper hand to win the Ballon d'Or. I know we talked about Lewandowski. His numbers have been ridiculous. They're probably going to win the Bundesliga title. And I think he's actually a couple of goals off the all-time or single-season record of um, uh, yeah. 
for 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 the, for the Bundesliga, which is impressive at, on its own right, and he's got Euros. But do you think this puts Messi um, at the top if they do get the title for the Bundesliga? Uh, I, I don't think it does. And the reason being is the Euros. Like, I think if I look at who is left, right, in the Champions League, we've got um, Real Madrid, who have uh, Benzema, for example, um, and Varane, um, Sergio Ramos. Uh, I mean, Benzema won't be at the Euros, for example, but, you know, Varane, Sergio Ramos, like uh, Cruz, Modric, um PSG, you've got Mbappe. <laughs> um, so if France win it again and he wins the, wins the Champions League, could you really argue, especially when he scored a hat-trick at, at the Camp Nou? Like, those are the type of performances that I think uh, people remember when they're voting for the Ballon d'Or. Like, Messi has had a crazy, crazy 2021 so far. But at the end of the day, when it came down to it in the Champions League, it was killing Mbappe that shone and not Messi, Right. And we, people, can, people can say, you know, he missed the penalty, blah, blah. Like, for me, that was a, you know, a real surprise. He scored an amazing goal. But at the end of the day, it's not, with all due respect to a team like Elche or Granada, who are having a great year, by the way, this season, an assist and two goals against those, those teams, it doesn't mean the same as a hat-trick at the Camp Nou. So I think if you couple with that, with like, it, you know, a potential world uh, Euros run for Mbappe. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I'm looking at him and and thinking like there's a big chance there. Um, I mean, look, like you could have a crazy situation like um, for Man City, uh, Kevin De Bruyne or Phil Foden or uh, Ruben Diaz. Um, they go and win the Champions League and uh, they go and win the Euros, right? Um, and then you kind of look at the accomplishments. Ruben Diaz is going to be, you know, a PFA uh, Player of the Year nominee in, in England. I have no doubt about it. If he's not, then something's wrong. If they won the Euros with Portugal as well, you'd be like, well, you know, like what's what's more impressive? Like a La Liga where, let's be honest, the three teams are the weakest they've been ever. Would you agree, Matt? At least in recent years. Yeah, six, probably. In the, years, yeah, yeah, probably at least in the six, seven years. I would, I would kind of err uh, to the, and this isn't me saying that like he's not has had as a good a season as Phil Foden. That's no way near in what I'm saying. And even if Phil Foden won the Champions League and the Euros, and he was a key player in both parts, I don't think he'd win the Ballon d'Or. I think he'd maybe get ranked like 25th or something like that. Um, what I'm saying is, I think that two things go against him: one, the Euros; two, the Champions League, and then three, the thing that I mentioned, which is the, the big moments, right? And um, look, Barcelona play Atletico Madrid. Messi might make me eat my hat, right? And he might score four goals against Atletico Madrid and, and lead them to the title. And then he'd probably finish in, in the podium positions or top 10 at the very, very least in the Ballon d'Or. I think it just hurts him not having the Euros. If it wasn't a Euros year, I think we could talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, people look at the Champions League, right? Let's look at historically, when it's not been Ronaldo or Messi, it's been Modric because he he came he got to the the final of the the World Cup and won the Champions League. Manuel Neuer came third when uh, Bayern won the Champions League, and I think Germany won the World Cup. Oh, I don't know if I'm being mistaken there. I think they're th- those big events, unless you've got two guys that are stratospherically better than everyone else, right. which like I the don't... year where like Messi had like sixty or seventy goals or eight yeah. goals or whatever. Yeah, you, you, there's like, no like, way he can't win it. Like ridiculous year, yeah. yeah, or or like the the year where Ronaldo scored, I think 60, 65 goals and uh, dragged Euros to the to the tournament that they eventually won. 
um, I think winning in the playoffs against Sweden or whatever, like you need to have a head and shoulders year above everyone. Yeah, and and the moment, and and you know when when they play the video to to announce the the winner of the the Ballon d'Or, and if Mbappe win it wins it, you can be damn sure the hat trick at the new camp is going to be there. Do you right. know what I mean? So I yeah. think moments, the Euros and the Champions League go against him. I think he'll still be up there. I think um, just by, you know, the way the, the Ballon d'Or is politicised, you know, we saw with Modric winning it, should never have won it. It should have been one of Ronaldo or Messi. Um, you know, like it, it, it should have been either Ronaldo or Messi for the last 10, 15 years. You could argue it should have just been Messi or just been Ronaldo, which I, I don't agree with. But um, those two are still... The, the the key players in the world but both of their trajectories are, are slightly stalling and you know we've seen performances from Bappe, Haaland and even Neymar I mean against Bayern Munich away um, you know who's hitting first time passes with their left foot like that in, in, in world football apart from uh, Neymar probably no one right um, I, I think there's going to be strong cases for a lot of players to mean that I don't think it's going to be Messi's Ballon d'Or year in terms of his achievements I think it's Again, like I have to look at the quality of the league, but the very fact that, you know, this guy has got some absolute scrubs on his team, like I'm talking, yeah, you know, is... proper scrubs. Like Osman Debele is like one of the best players in that team and he's he's been trash. Like, let's be honest, yeah. he has not lived up Free to the hype. come on. I mean, Frankie's been good. Frankie's and... been better, but like, you know. <sighs> this is like, yeah, this is probably one of the, the most. He's relying on like less qualified uh, Barcelona teams that Messi's played with. Yeah, I mean, one of the technically best players after Messi in that team is Pedri, and he's 17, right? Right. So uh, you're looking at the caliber of player that he's... Don't have, they have a lot of young kids or yeah. players that are underperforming, that are really just not doing much of anything, which yeah. is, again, that's something that can maybe help his case. The reason why I asked you the question, then we can, we can move on or maybe even wrap it up at this point, um, is because of that bias, right, that you mentioned, the politicized nature of this 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 award uh you know there's been years where you can make cases for Debrana, you can make cases for maybe neymar who Lewandowski, whoever but you know that's one of the always things where it's like you can't put it by the voting people and the committee and the people who are in charge of you know at the end of the day uh crowning a winner to but it's messy messy did this and you messy the favoritism you know and look it's been back and forth we know ronaldo is probably going to wind up just on his name alone. It's going to be top ten, top fifteen, right? I mean, I, I mean, not whether we agree or not. I mean, would you be sh- would you be shocked if uh, if Matt Ronaldo was left out of the top fifteen? Uh, no. Well, right? I mean, look, I mean, if he wins the Euros, then I would. Right? But apart from that, then no. It's it, but we've seen it time and time again. Where we're looking at the numbers, we're like, why is this guy ahead of him? Yeah. Why, is he I mean, not because winning, look, so- like if people know what the Ballon d'Or is, it's like they ask captains, journalists, and managers to vote for them. So, like, who do you think the who do you think Pep Guardiola is voting for? Debrano. or Messi. you know his best mate Messi. Yeah. Who do we think Giammatino, captain of Wolves, is going to you know well, vote for? Exactly. So it's not necessarily who they think is the best. It's sometimes right. just completely politicized. So I, I, I don't really read too much into them. You know, we've seen some crazy rankings before. So um, I, I, yeah, I don't think Messi's going to win it. It would it would have to be you know something like Turkey win the Euros and um, 
you know, Chelsea win the Champions League, maybe. On that note, on that silly note, um, before we talk about one player in the States, uh, this podcast is brought to you in affiliation with SoRare, the global blockchain fancy game. It's a fancy game of soccer where players buy, sell, trade, and manage a virtual team with digital player cards. So if you use our link, which is HTTPS, you know, double dot forward slash forward slash so rare dot which is s o r a r e dot p x f dot i o forward slash s o p which is going to be in our description as well you basically get a free card if you use the link and buy five new cards from the primary market which includes individual cards and bundles uh you get a free red card which could be could be anything really uh, i got a memphis to buy which was really good and a player i do have on there is uh Gianluca Busio which Matt, you've been a big fan of. And also he started this MLS season playing in kind of like a false nine role, which has surprised a few people, isn't it? It has, yeah. I mean, he's been on the radar from uh, for a lot of top clubs in Europe. I mean, this has kind of been a reoccurring theme we've seen in recent years or in recent windows, shall I say, about um, these big teams or these big leagues taking note of what's happening stateside in, in Major League Soccer, right? I mean, there's not an abundance of, of ready-to-go quality that can translate over to the to the Europe's main stage, but there are players, Alfonso Davies, we've seen Miguel Almiron, a lot of players make that sort of transition from MLS to playing prominent roles at some of their clubs in Europe. And Busio could maybe be one of those guys. I'm not saying he's maybe in that same kind of category as like a Davies, but at the same time, I mean, you look at what it could take for someone like him to get a big move very quickly because of that FOMO that a lot of these clubs may have, right? If you wait another year to get Davies, so many people say, oh, he's too young, let's wait another year. Well, you wait another year, he's not available. So these clubs will overpay um, if they do see the right moment to strike. And Busio could be one of those guys. I mean, Tom Bogard, who we had on a couple times more recently, I think in episode 86, if I'm correct, mm. um, with Martino, who did uh, together did a great MLS preview. Guys, should go check that out. Um, I think they t- discussed Busio there and you know, he put out something recently where, you know, this Busio has been linked to several Serie A clubs, Fiorentina, Sassuolo, teams that value young players that do a little bit more digging on, on the scouting side. So um, definitely keep an eye on him. I mean, if you're not someone who's privy to what's happening in Major League Soccer, um, obviously for time zones, it's probably a pain for some of you guys to watch. But there are some players that are definitely worth taking note of. And I'm sure, obviously, Pet is um, extra happy to see this sort of uh, buzz around Musa <laughs> because he has him in his Soware uh, cardstock. <laughs> Let's see where he goes. Um, I think that's all we've got time for, Matt. Where can people find out more about you? At Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. Also, make sure to follow at Milan Reports, where me and Martino cover extensively um, all things happening in the world of AC Milan. We have a pre-match show, we have post-match reactions, and we have our weekly podcast, which can only be found on Twitch. So make sure you guys go check us out there. Give us a subscription. We appreciate all the support you guys are giving us. Awesome. And you can find me at Pet Berisha at P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. I'm, um, you know, going viral weekly pretty much. So definitely follow me. Um, I'm joking. Just said that to piss Martino off when he edits this. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, have a great day and go uh, follow us at State of Play Pod on all your socials. <laughs>